Well, this morning we are teaching the seventh of a 12-part series called Great Awakening, Matthew Style. And there have been great awakenings globally over the centuries of the church, and they're beautiful. There's been at least two great awakenings in, in the United States. But Matthew, the disciple, had a great, a personal great awakening. One of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament, Jesus walks up to Matthew at his tax booth and says, follow me. And that shook Matthew up. He had a Holy Ghost revival right there. He got up, left all, and followed Jesus. And he personally carried that revival anointing with him through the three years of ministry with Jesus and then for upwards of 40 years ministering around Jerusalem before Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70. He carried this revival. It was a great awakening. He, he had this understanding that revival isn't something you just call on God for, intercede for, beg God to, to do as he's done in times past. But revival is something you enter into for yourself in childlike faith. You own it. You have a blood-bought right to it. No one has a right and, and uh, to take it away from you, you personally and I personally are, have, a, have a decision to make every day. And a decision that, that decision is I will have a personal revival with Jesus today. And it's going to be amazing and wonderful and joyful and beautiful. Revival is something we choose into, not something we beg God for. Our prayer for America is not God send us a revival, but God, we pray that the revival I'm experiencing will spread throughout America. The revival that every, everybody that's, that's experiencing revival in Minneapolis will spread it all over that city and all over the state of Minnesota and so on. It's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's an important difference. It has to do with authority. It has to do with confidence. It has to do with levels of joy that are, that are not, oh, I'm a poor victim, please help me, Jesus, but rather, I am, I am a victorious globe changer, world changer. That's who I am. And this is uh, the call that Matthew embraced and his church, I mean, his call, uh, he emphasizes it the, in the last chapter of Matthew, the call isn't to go and make converts. The call is to go and make disciples. And disciples are people that press into revival fully. Go and make disciples of all nations. So that was what Matthew was into for the, the Jewish church that he served and the, Gentile, the Gentiles that were part of that church and the, their, their commission, their co-mission with Jesus to win the Gentile world. So this particular message is based on the four, fourth, the fourth section of um, the, there's five teaching sections in, in Matthew's gospel. This is the fourth one. It has to do with discipleship. And the title of this message is called How Jesus Ignites Disciples, How He Ignites His Disciples, How He Ignites You and Me to, to Stay on Fire, to Keep on Fire for Him. And here's the first talking point. Jesus ignites his disciples through his presence, touch, and wise direction when we have a special mountaintop experience. I want to read about a mountaintop experience, not that Matthew had. His mountaintop experience was at his tax booth, and he had many more after that. He had one on 
that's, that's expressed in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. He was part of that mountaintop experience, poor outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But this is um, Matthew 17, verse 1, a mountaintop experience that Peter, James, and John were led into. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Maybe they started a denomination with each one of these churches we're going to build. And while he was still speaking, behold, that means look at it. Have a look at this. While he was, while he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And he told his disciples, those three, Peter, James, and John, you guys keep this on the down low until after I rise from the dead. Don't talk about it. And I think it's because after the resurrection, this kind of mountaintop experience is a prototype because of the resurrection power of Jesus towards his church. This becomes a prototype for all of us to be able to experience mountaintop experiences in the things of God. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience with God? I hope so. Yeah, I hope you've had many. I was thinking about these things, and Brenda walks, uh, my wife Brenda walks through our living room, and I stop her and say, hey, tell me some of your mountaintop experiences. And she was able to just give me one after another, after another, after another, after another, just off the top of her heart. One of them was, she was listening to a, a sermon tape from New Song, a, a sermon, a sermon uh, recording from New Song, and at the end, my daughter Charity Mainwaring sang a song about the cross of Jesus Christ. And Brenda said, I just started weeping and weeping and weeping because of the message of the cross on Charity's song. And then she said, there was one Christmas Eve some years ago where Jim Wolfe was leading some of the classic Christmas carols. And I, I got hit by a revelation of the wonder of the and the beauty of the advent of the Lord Jesus into the world, the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world as a baby. And I wept through the whole worship time. And sometimes we think of weeping as something we do in repentance, but you know, weeping can be a, an experience of great joy, an experience of great tenderness, a, an experience of great and deep, beautiful meaning, can't it? And I'm wondering if we understand that God sometimes wants to surprise us with mountaintops experiences. Like he just said to James, Peter, and John, Let's, we're going to go on a hike up the mountain for a little bit, come on. And they had no idea what was going to hit them, but something beautiful hit them up there, didn't it? And there are times when, in your life when a mountaintop experiences, sometimes it, it can be a revelation from God or his message or his, or his spirit. Sometimes it can be something that you know is a, is a miracle from God. Something special that's a customized gift just for you. No one else might not even understand it or get the depth of its meaning, but you do. It's your customized journey with God, and it's special to you, and you'll never forget it. One time I saw um, a, a uh, eight-millimeter uh, 
film, the only film I ever saw of my mother when she was young. And she was walking and talking, and one of my aunts showed this film to me. And it, it was really meaningful to be able to actually see my mom on a video. And then I, as a little boy, 12 years old, walked into the picture, and that was really rather shocking. <laughs> Some of you will remember that video cameras back in the 80s were very, very expensive. Remember those days? Some of you do. We had a neighbor named Pete, neighbors named Pete and August, that lent us their video camera. And the only, only videotape we have of our kids when they were little was a couple of um, video clips we took of our kids when we borrowed that camera for a couple days. But it meant a lot. Huge, huge to have those. So here's something that happened. We have neighbors that moved in across the street from us a couple months ago. And when I went over to meet them and and talk to them in their yard, in their front lawn, I discovered that that, um, the lady was August's mother. So we moved from Astoria, 350 miles away, and moved to a a city of 80, 100,000 people and buy a house and across the street moves in the mother of the lady that lent us the video camera and and she told me the other day she was going to go down and see Pete and August I said well tell them hi and tell them thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for lending us the video camera back in the day in the early mid 80s she stopped for a moment and she said I bought Pete and August that camera. Now, maybe that means nothing to you, but to me it was a total God thing. This whole, this whole sequence of, of things that seemed like a, a, just a bizarre coincidence. But to me it was God saying, to me it was like God saying, I was in on that camera experience that you had way back then. I was in on that. And I want to just remind you, I still am, I'm still happy that I gave you that gift of having videos of your kids. Mountaintop experience. Here's a quote from Augustine about, in the 5th century, about mountaintop experiences. You shined upon me your dazzling beams of light, and I trembled with love and fear. Wow, had one, had one of those. Second talking point. The first one, just uh, Jesus ignites his disciples through his presence, his touch, and wise direction when we have mountaintop experiences. He, he wants to give you more. And my blessing unto you in Jesus' name is he'll give you more and more and more mountaintop experiences. May he surprise you with them bless you with them more and more in your life. Here's my second, the second of the two talking points. Jesus ignites his disciples through his presence, touch, and wise direction when we face a perplexing or difficult life question. 
I want, to, I want to remind you that sometimes the difficult, perplexing life questions seem like just the opposite of a God encounter. God can seem distant. But I want to tell you that those questions, those perplexing questions, can be, can be and are opportunities, they are opportunities for God to intersect your life journey with an answer and a meeting uh, from him, a blessing from him, a touch from him, a, a, a cutting into your life, taking cuts into, into, the, in, into the line of your life right in front of you and saying, I, I'm here, I'm with you, I'm for you, I, I want to answer your question right now. Don't think of, whenever you feel like, wow, this question I'm experiencing right now is making God seem kind of distant. Recognize that what we have with the resurrection of Jesus is not being submitted to our feelings, but to recognize that, that we have a reality in, in Jesus Christ that, that is way beyond whether we feel close to him or not. We, he promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that promise is there whether you feel close to him or not. And there can be a profound, deep revelation of a, in your walk with Jesus of that reality in the midst of the questions that you have in your life. And it can help you to soar with a faith and a confidence that's way beyond feelings. Now, you know that many of you know that um, Bill Bright used to teach on the, with, a, with a train model saying we have, we have fact, faith, and feelings. Fact is a locomotive. That's what the word of God says. That's fact. Faith is the next car. We have faith in the fact, and feelings are the caboose. And in our day and age, whether what, what we feel in the culture at large, in the conventional wisdom of the day, feelings are, are really the guides to everything. It just, it just resonates within me that this is true. Or, or you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just going with my gut on that, you know, with no reference to whether or not there's a, it's based or rooted in fact. One of my favorite recent quotes is from my dear friend Richard Larkham's mother, Jen, in England. She's a prolific uh, author in the church in England. But she writes, when we are struck with severe pain or physical sickness, God can feel very far away. I remember my mother telling me firmly, Jesus promised we would always have his presence but he never promised we would always feel his presence. Sometimes you have to keep reminding yourself that Jesus Christ never breaks his promises. Never breaks his promises. Got it? Once you get a hold of that by faith, it can change everything in your, in your personal walk and your journey with Christ because what you, you always are glad when you feel close to him, but when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt he's with you no matter what, whether you feel them or not, that is truly, truly liberating. We're not slaves to our feelings anymore. Think on these things, and the Lord will give you insight into them. <laughs> so, what I'd like to do is to look at a few of the perplexing questions that, the, that are answered by Jesus in this teaching this fourth section on discipleship. There's, there's eight of them, and I, and I don't have time to give full illustrations for each of them, but I, 
what I'd like to do is at least say what the questions are and give you what his answer is because he does bring his presence into the situation, his touch into the situation, and his advice, his directions into the situation for each one of these questions. And it moves the presence of God beyond the mountaintop experiences to the daily life dynamics of our walk and our journey with God. So we're not just living from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop, but recognizing every single moment of our lives is fully and truly significant and meaningful because of Jesus' presence with us through all of life. First question, what do we do when we are feeling anxious or afraid? Matthew 17, verse 6. And I'm not going to read all the verses. I'm going to refer to the stories to save time over the next 10 minutes or so as we conclude this. And when the disciples heard it, the voice, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them. Doesn't say he just touched one of them. He says he touched them. I think he went from each each of the three, one at a time. He touched them. Touch of Jesus means everything. And he said, Arise and do not be afraid. So he gave them the presence, he gave them a touch, and he gave them a directive to arise and to not be afraid. And When we're afraid, God will often say, arise and do this. Just in other words, don't get jammed up with your fear. Just move forward in life and be strengthened in life. I know that Norman Vincent Peale tells the story of a businessman came to him. One time he was in in a full terrorized mode because he had a meeting the next day. He said, this meeting will either make me or break me. I will go bankrupt or I will... I will become you know, very wealthy based on this meeting tomorrow. And I'm just, ter- I'm just terrified about this meeting. And Norman Vincent um, Peale said to him, well, for one thing, the truth is no one meeting is going to make you or break you as a person. Life is bigger than that, just so you know. But I do have a prescription I want to write to you. He wrote out a doctor's prescription for him and gave it to him. It was that verse we're all familiar with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the businessman took it, hung on to it. He talked to Norman Vincent Peale a few weeks later and said, that verse got me not only through that meeting successfully, but through several other meetings. And actually, it's been the the verse for my life ever since. Because I don't have to be afraid because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My friends, Jesus will always, in the face of your fear, Jesus will always say, do not be afraid, arise and do something. And know you can do it in his strength. There will always be a way forward because he is strengthening you for your immediate future and into the rest of your week and into, your, into the next phase of your life journey. Yes, he is. Two, second question of the eight. What do we do when we have a genuine question about an end times prophecy? You ever had a question about an end times prophecy? Jesus speaks to it with his disciples. The disciples asked him saying, why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, Indeed, Elijah is coming first. They had just seen him alive (laughs) on the mountaintop. Is this the coming of Elijah? Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has already come. With reference to who? 
John the Baptist, right? So here's the application. Jesus is saying, you are looking for a sign before the end times. And I want to say to you, the signs already happened. And I believe that this is an example or or a prototype for every single one of our end times questions. Sometimes people get preoccupied with this, 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 and this has to happen before Christ will come back. I submit to you that there may be some other signs. Absolutely. I believe there will be more signs before Christ comes back. But I also want to say that he could come back right now and every sign will have been fulfilled. Jesus is saying everything, if, everything has been fulfilled There's only one thing left for me to come back, and that is for me to rend the heavens and come back. The trumpet blows, all the angels. I'm wrapping things up. The second coming of Christ will happen. Bam. There's nothing more that needs to happen before that that event. And and, And if you think that, well, there's, I disagree with you, Dan. Go ahead. But I'm not sharing the mic with you. But I am saying that he said that the main motif of Jesus when, about the second coming is, that, is for us to watch and be ready because it could happen any moment. And, I'm, and it's going to happen when, most, when a lot of people aren't prepared for it. They're, they'll be surprised. Let's, let's not be among those. Let's, let's, be, let's be, all be ready, okay? Okay. Three, what do we do when a deliverance prayer doesn't seem to be working? Ever had one of those? I have. Jesus comes down off the mountain. The disciples say, hey, you, told, you gave us authority to deliver people, and it didn't work this time. What's with that? Really embarrassing. We've advertised 100% healing, and it didn't happen to this guy. What's going on? Well, Jesus says, this kind does not go out but, except by prayer and fasting, and then he goes out and delivers the guy, delivers the kid. The kid get, gets healed. So what's with that? Jesus must have been praying and fasting. <laughs> he was ready, and he delivered the kid, Right? Yeah, so I want to say that what this teaches us is that it's Jesus that does the deliverance, Jesus that does the healing. It really is. And he wants us to pray. He wants us at times to fast, to see people delivered. And there are, I just want to give you the assurance that Jesus, if if a healing doesn't happen the way you expect or a deliverance doesn't happen the way you expect, please know that Jesus isn't done yet. He's still going to come and he's still going to give help. Don't give up on faith for that, okay? Don't ever give up on faith for deliverance. I know that um, one time I got a call in the middle of the night from a lady that said her husband was demonized and could I please come deliver him? So I called a couple of my associates. This was in Astoria when we lived there. And we went there, and we couldn't hold the guy down. He was, he was just like, he just threw, threw us off. We could, he was just, the demon was talking in the first person and growling, and it was just like, it was pretty messy. She later gave me his gun and said, can you please hold this because he's been threatening us. And so I put it on the top shelf of my office, bookshelf. And for a while there, I had three guns from people that say, here, can you hold this? Because we have suicide potential. Astoria was a pretty depressing place to live, I guess, <laughs> when it goes right down to it. So I never did tell Brenda about those guns up there, but <laughs> you know, there they were. Well, a few years later, I ran into this guy. His name's Terry on the street um, in a 
in Chinook across the river in Washington. I ran into him and, and talked with him. He's in his right mind. Everything was cool. He um, didn't refer to the event, but he, I could tell everything was good. He did tell me that, he had, that um, he'd been on cocaine in the 80s. His wife had told me that too. I don't think I mentioned that to you, that the, um, the, de- the demonization was related to his love for a cocaine for cocaine. It was a kind of a prevalent drug in the, in the 80s, and, and uh, he didn't want to give it up. And so it's impossible. If you're, if you're, if this isn't always the, the difficulty, but if a person's not ready to give up the access point, it's, it's pretty tough to get the demon out because he's just going to go back, back to the drug or whatever it is anyway, right? But he got free, and Jesus helped him, but it wasn't through me. It was Jesus through someone else later on, just helped him with with uh, uh, Narcotics Anonymous or whatever it was, he got free from the drug, then the demon left. So, okay, I'm just trying to emphasize that Jesus himself is involved in giving breakthroughs for people. Five, what do we do about stresses related to children? You ever had a stress related to a child? This is all life stuff. Jesus, Jesus is invading all of our lives, my friends. That's what this is about, not just the mountaintops, but he's invading all of life. What do we, what do, we do about stresses related to children? Well, Jesus says we are, we are not treating him any better than we are treating children. What do you think of that? When his disciples start scolding the children, rebuking them, he says, don't do that. He says, whoever receives one of these kids receives me. And it's really important, says Jesus. It's the millstone one. It's that we don't offend kids. Now, I want to tell you what, our public schools are offending kids these days. And I, we have public school teachers here, and I'm, I'm not talking about you, you guys. I, we, we're sending you guys out as missionaries. God bless you and what you're doing in the public schools. My son, John, is a third grade teacher at Hoover. Uh, but I do know that globally we hear stories of, of children being um, messed up with their gender identity, raising questions, and, and there's... There is, a, there is a great need in this hour to pray for parents for decisions about how to, how to educate their children best in this hour. So let's get after that in prayer, and let's, let's, let's be part of the answer for children not to be offended. Okay, should we do that? Six, is there anything we can do about minimizing temptation to sin? Well, Jesus says, if your hand or your foot cause you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. Violent, R-rated for violence there. But it's never your hand or your eye or your foot that offends you, is it? We can minimize temptation by, by not setting ourselves up for it. Certain friends we need to avoid. Facebook account maybe needs to be deleted. Internet access even. I know someone that just got off of the internet altogether because he needed to get off of that. Work in a donut shop? I mean, there's some things we can do environmentally to help ourselves minimize temptation. It's really important that we do that. Jesus makes a pretty big deal about it, doesn't he? Seven, how do we get out of it when, we have, when we've chosen to be offended? The Bible, I am say this as kindly as I can, I'm very sympathetic to hurt feelings. Please know that. No calls, no letters, no emails. Please. 
The Bible does not talk about hurt feelings very much. Paul refers to it once with reference to saying, I know my letter hurt you. The other occasion, the only other occasion where hurt feelings are talked about is when Jesus hurt Peter's feelings. So 50% of the hurt feelings in the Bible are caused by Jesus to one of the disciples. You know what the word is in the Bible? Offended. If we say, you hurt me, that's saying, I'm a victim, you did this to me, and I'm giving ownership of my emotions to you. And I refuse to do that. We, we all have the right to choose our emotions. Never, give, never, give, never say, you made me angry. We, all, we are responsible ourselves, and in Christ we can choose our emotions. The Bible says, blessed are those that love thy law. Nothing will offend you. Nothing will offend them, it says. Okay, I know it's a new territory for some of us, so maybe I should move, the, move on. It does, say, it does say if a brother offends you, go to him. Try to get him to listen. It's not always about agreeing with you. It's about just making sure you're heard. So if it, you have trouble forgiving, letting it go, go to him. If they don't, if they don't receive that, if, you don't, if he won't meet with you, take someone else along. And the point there is that that person, when they hear the story, they might turn to you and say, you know what, you're overreacting. Or they might turn to the brother and say, you sinned, you need to say you're sorry, and you need to listen up. Could go either way. There's a whole process there that, that Matthew 18 talks about that we're reticent to use and probably should be used more because Jesus said that was the way to go. That and forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just a one-time decision. Can we put that up? Forgiveness is not just a one-time decision, but an atmosphere an intentional lifestyle. To forgive is to continually forgive everything, all the time. This kind of forgiveness brings great blessings to ourselves and to our families. It's a lifestyle. Michael Green puts it this way, and Jesus makes such a point of forgiveness in this discipleship uh, section. We have to open our clenched fist of resentment to receive the pearl of great price. Okay? Let it open up. Let go of the resentment to receive the pearl of great price. Finally, how do we deepen and strengthen our experience of the presence, touch, and direction of Jesus in our lives? Jesus speaks of the prayer of agreement. We're just doing an overview of the discipleship teaching. We're uh, the person that's speaking, Anthony, is going to be preaching next week about some area of discipleship. It'll be a good message as well here. Be helpful to us. He'll be preaching from some section here, but this is just an overview of the teaching section. Jesus talks about the prayer of agreement in Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth as concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them in my Father's name. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Prayer of agreement, it is so, such a potent tool for us to use. A short prayer agreeing for, for someone in their need. Let's stand up. Can you stand up, please? Jesus shows up in the prayer of agreement. Yesterday, we were praying for a gal. She was sitting in her car with the door open, Jeannie Tribble. We were going home to home evangelizing. Jeannie was asking this gal about a prayer because there's something we can agree with you for. She said, 
a need about her mom. As Jeannie began to pray, the Spirit came. I could discern the Spirit powerfully. And the Spirit gave me a word for her. And I, the word was, in recent days, God has given you six manifestations that he is real and working in your life. And you know what they are, and you've not told anybody. Only God knows about it, and you know about it, and now I know about it, because God told me, and this is number seven right here. She just starts crying. The spirit intensifies. You know, the prayer of agreement. Jeannie was, did that, and she also said she prays every, almost every day with one of, one of uh, the other sisters here in our fellowship. Prayer of agreement for stuff. I want to tell you, don't just tell someone I'll pray about that for you and then go home and forget it. Have a prayer of agreement in the moment. It can be a very short prayer. All right? We're going to worship one more time. Let's touch into Jesus right now and worship him and recognize that he is very much into igniting our discipleship of him. And he does it through mountaintop experiences and through invading, cutting into our life in the questions that we have and giving us revelation, his touch, his presence, his directive. Arise, don't be afraid. There's something I want you to do. There's responses for every question we have. That's what we've looked at this morning. Let's, let's praise him one more time and touch him together. As the band's coming up, I want to remind you that Jack Auger is leading Marty's team for prophetic words. They'll be over on this side, and there will be a healing team on this side to pray and bless any area of miracle, prayer of agreement for you for what you might need from Jesus today. Okay?
the aisle. Join hands with the person next to you. You can wash your hands later. Don't worry about the sweat. We're all human beings. That's just how it is. Just be brief. I want you to know it's easy to get started with Jesus. And there are people here today that haven't gotten started with Jesus yet. And this is your day and you know it. If that's you today, you are responding to Jesus today. We're not asking you to join our church or change political parties. We're just asking you to squeeze the hand of the person next to you. And by that saying, I am, I am responding to Jesus. He's knocking on the door of my heart, and I'm saying yes. He's asking for cuts into my life to answer my questions, and I'm saying welcome. Just give a squeeze, just a short squeeze to that person in the hand next to you, if that's you today, starting with Jesus. Now, if someone just squeezed your hand, you, you, if you're willing to say, I'm going to be praying for you, and I'll be willing to answer any questions that you have myself. I'll do my best to encourage you in the things of God as you're getting started. Just squeeze that hand back. Okay, we do that. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're in this all together as your disciples. We praise you that discipleship is about mountaintop experiences. And discipleship is about facing questions that you invade to give us answers with your presence, your touch, and your kind directives. We bless you for the privilege of discipleship. We're amongst those that are after you with all of our hearts and pursuing you. We're wanting to spread revival, Jesus, and we start by experiencing it ourselves. We embrace it for ourselves. Revival is me. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. We love you. God loves you. Have a great week.